Hello, this is Coach Tim Campbell, and I'm your host for the Self-Made is a Myth, Make a Difference Together show, where we're talking with successful business owners to hear their story of the journey to building their business. And because we know that success in business is not something that we can do on our own, we're taking some time out to recognize the folks who have helped us along the way. Today, I'm excited to have a fellow business owner from Michigan with us. And my guest, uh, check this out, he loves shoes and reading, and he wants a big collection of, of both shoes and books <clears throat> when he's old. In his spare time, he loves spending time with his daughters, and he's most proud of his daughters as well as his team. It's my pleasure to welcome Jonas to the show today. Hello, Jonas. Hello, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's start with having you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit of your personal story, like where you were um, born, where you live, and about your family and hobbies. Sure. So my name is Jonas Olson. I was born and raised in Escanaba, Michigan, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, so we're way north. Everyone says that we're close to Canada, which is true. It's cold here still. Um, thirty-nine years old. I have three daughters and a stepson. I've raised my stepson since he was seven, so he's technically my son still. And I have three daughters. They are uh, twelve, seven, and three. So we got we're busy. Uh. I started my journey in entrepreneurship like 12 years ago and just kind of been cranking away ever since. Hobbies, like I said, I love to read in my spare time. I'm not reading. Um, I'm usually looking at shoes on my phone. <laughs> yeah, tell us about that. Tell us about your shoes. What's that? I don't know. I just, I just, I've always liked shoes since I was young. I don't know why. Just one of those hobbies that I have. I just like to buy shoes and have a collection of shoes already. And I just want to have a big collection of molder and that's so cool. I just look for look for look for lots of shoes online and how many pairs of shoes do you have? Not that many, like forty some, I'd say. And they're all in glass cases, ones that I care about. And then oh, of course no, I have cool. probably ten to fifteen everyday shoes that I just change in and out. But sure. yeah, I like I like shoes. And then yeah, books. I have a lot of books, whether it's Audible or if it's um I have a, my bookshelf, of course. And if I really like a book, like I'll I'll read it and then I'll listen to it. And then it's like, if I really like it and I'm listening to it, I'll go buy it. Just so I have it on my bookshelf for someday. Like in the future, when I'm 78 years old, I'll, I'll just have a big library. <laughs> I love it. So Jonas, tell us a funny story that your family likes to, to uh, share about you that you'd be willing to let us in on the, the secret or in on the funny Let's see, a funny story. I was thinking about this one. I don't have a whole lot of really funny stories. Um, I'm trying to think. I would say that um, when I was, this is not a really funny story, but people laugh at me because I did it. But I was playing in our barn, in our hayloft in our barn, and I was throwing a bottle out the hayloft. And I looked outside to go see where it went. And, you know, friends were just playing around. And my brothers and sisters were all there. And I fell out of the hayloft and broke my arm. <laughs> so, not too funny, but it's a funny story that I, that I remember. And then back in the day, we had like the turn dial phones. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I broke my right arm. And I was trying to dial the phone with my right arm. It didn't work. And so or I didn't use my left hand. I just actually got up and walked to my neighbor's house. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, that's a good story. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. So Jonas, tell us, how did the business come about? And at what point did you have the confidence that you could run your own business? Well, it probably took a while for 
for me to gain the confidence. Mm-hmm. But I was I was doing um, mowing lawns part time, and then I was working full time. So I'd work from Monday through Thursday at my full time job out of town, and then I travel home and I work from Thursday to Sunday mowing lawns. <clears throat> at the same time, one of my friends was getting out of the business, and he said, "Hey, you should get into it." And I'm like, "I've been trying, and I failed one time when I was 18. Didn't really know what I was doing." And then I just got that, he gave me a client and the one client turned into three clients. And then, then it's there. And then I get, you know, then I just, I think after like two years of doing that, both jobs full time, mm. um, I you know, gained uh, enough confidence, I guess. And I had a baby at the same time and I didn't want to be traveling. So I decided that I was going to stay home. So I just, uh, I think I had probably like 50 clients, 50, 60 clients right at that point. Not very many. 50 or yeah, 60 is not was, very many? No, it wasn't very many. <laughs> time. Maybe, maybe enough for one person to stay busy. And then yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I got stuck in that rut for like two or three years. Mm. So tell us a little bit more about the company. What what do you guys do? How do you help people? So started off as a, a maintenance company. So we did you know mowing and then then the shrub pruning. And then, of course, snow plowing in the winter. Did that all for 10 years and did some landscaping in there. Did that for 10 years and I decided that uh, it wasn't the business that I wanted anymore. And I built it up to be a pretty successful business. And I sold that off about two years ago. Fantastic. That's awesome. And uh, so it sounds like you you tweaked it and and morphed it along the way and, and you know, it looked, continued to look for ways to to grow it. So you said you started it with about you know, 50 uh, customers. How many did you have when you sold it? Um, for mowing customers, close to 400 and some. Wow. Congrats. 400 mowing customers. And we had the landscaping jobs. And then we had, in a fertilization weed control, we had, we had pest control in there. Uh, we had a bunch of big contracts for snow plowing. Yeah. So it, it was a pretty good business at that point. And then uh, and I just decided that that wasn't the business that I wanted anymore, that I wanted to scale a little faster. So I had to, Pick the services that were the most profitable and then run with those. Yeah. So what are you doing now? So yeah, now we just do pest control and fertilization weed control. Fantastic. So I kept that part of the business, but basically started over from scratch. You know, I had some customers, but uh started over. And then COVID kind of hit. And in Michigan, we got shut down for four months. Mm. I've always wanted to own us. I've always wanted to have a, like, since I was 12 years old, I always wanted to own a lawn care company in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah, well, Wisconsin didn't get shut down. They were still essential. So I started driving every single morning, four o'clock in the morning to Green Bay, and I just started knocking doors. Wow. How yeah. f- how far is the... the it was about two and a half hours. Okay. Yeah, two and a half hours, yeah. So I would just drive down there. I'd be down there by about six, seven o'clock. We'd go knock doors and just start servicing, and that's just kind of how it all started. And now uh, I think we have a total of 16, 17 guys in that branch, just operators. Congratulations. Yeah. Jonas, share us a story of where someone pushed you or inspired you that you could do it, even though maybe you didn't think that you could and the impact that that person had on you. Um, I think my mentor did. Uh, he had, he coached a lot of people and he just said that I was different than a lot of them. Mm. And that when he taught me something, I would actually implement it right away. And then once I implement it, uh, I would just gain traction. So I just, all I wanted was more information. I didn't want to stop learning. And I was one of those guys who just beating down the door to talk to you more, to try to learn. And then I just implemented very well. And 
that's probably when I gained the confidence when he told me, hey, you're probably like, there's a lot of people who say they're going to do 100 million in revenue, but you're one of those few who probably will. Mm. And I was like, man, someone who's done, been there and done that before that's saying that you're one of those guys was pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's amazing. So who, this person, what's his name? Jonathan Potoshnik. Okay, awesome. Hey, Jonas, what's your biggest learning as a business owner? Hire faster. <laughs> Tell us more about solve, that. Yeah, uh, people solve problems. There's, we're not the smartest people in the world. We're not the smartest person in the room. And if you are, you're probably in the wrong room. And every time that I've, it gets scary to hire those expensive people, but they're so talented and they're so smart. It's a cheat code, just like hiring a coach. And the faster you can bring those on, I know it's scary because they, they, it seems like a lot of money, but they pay for themselves, you know, two or three times over. Yeah. So that's probably one of the biggest takeaways and over the last few years that I've really learned is that those people like that really, really solve a lot of problems and really move the needle. Mm. What would you say if you mentioned it, already alluded to it, but for folks who think that they can't afford those folks, what what advice would you have for them? You can't afford not to hire them, mm. to be honest, because <clears throat> again, we're we're pretty smart and we figure things out, but they've been there, they've done it. They've ran bigger companies. They've seen what bigger companies look like on the inside. You take that knowledge and you put and you put it inside to your systems or what you're doing, and it's like a rocket ship, you know, with a small company. Yeah. So yeah, you can't afford not to hire those people. Yeah. One of the things that uh, you can do as well, right? If you don't feel like you've got the cash flow to hire them, so the folks that are listening here is, is just build it into your plan. Right. Yep. So you know, at what cash flow or what revenue level? would you need to be to hire that person and then, you know, work towards uh, developing that, um, you know, gaining the, that cash flow or gaining that revenue so that now you've got a very specific goal to be working towards and you've got a reward at the end of that goal, which is hiring um, that new person. Um, other uh, things that you can explore is getting a loan. Right? There are, uh, if, if your business is doing well, banks will be willing to, to give you a, a short or a long-term loan that you can lean into hiring that person. And as long as you feel confident about your business plan and the trajectory of your business, uh, to Jonas's point, you're you're not putting yourself at a risk. You're just accelerating the the growth of your organization by being able to bring that person in earlier. Yeah. And like I said, if you can't hire someone that's full-time, you know, get a, get yourself a coach might be a little bit cheaper, you know, and again, that those coaches will save you so much time. Yeah. Um, I've also uh, heard people uh, that, um, and I did this when I first started my business, hire, you can hire part-time, right? So you don't have to go all the way to hiring a full-time employee. If you, you know, you find somebody who's willing to give you part of their time and uh, consultants or coaches are, is a, a great opportunity to do that as well, where you can bring them on, uh, on a, on a temporary basis or on a, a short-term basis or, or just buying, uh, you know, hours from them as opposed to needing to bring them on uh, from a full-time standpoint. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I actually had a fractional CFO for three years and it was too small of a business at the time to hire a full-time CFO. Yeah. But then as we scaled, he got excited about what we had going on and he was in his career for about 20, 20 years running a construction company. And he actually came work us full-time. So yeah, it's a great way to um, afford those people, like you said as you're smaller and then it's a good way to recruit people as you start getting bigger yeah fantastic well congratulations on being able to bring them on full-time that's awesome yeah thanks
Jonas, we know that business success doesn't happen in isolation. So tell us about one of your biggest challenges uh, as a business owner and, and maybe a fellow business owner that came alongside you and helped you through that. Oh, that's a good one. I have a lot of, I made a really, really good network of people. So when I got into, we call it the Academy. There's a group that we all got into. I think there was close to a hundred business owners that were on that, that group. So it's like our tribe, right? Like you can just bounce ideas off what's working in other people's markets. And those people, again, if you can't talk to your coach all the time, those people that have been there, done it, going through it at the same time, uh, can be a really good resource for you. So there's probably 30, 40 names that I could probably rip off the top of my head that have all been impacted. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Can yeah. you think of one situation or one challenge that you went through that, um, that that network helped you with? Yeah, I could think of a lot, but like one is the example of uh, like the director of operations that I hired. Like I didn't know how to didn't know how to um, pay her exactly, you know. I didn't know what the structure would look like. I had no clue like what the, what I should bonus them off of. So I just went to the group to help me with the group. Group gave me some examples. I talked to my coach. He gave me some more examples, and I went to my lawyer, and he wrote it out. It like he wrote out the actual agreement that we had. So yeah, it just happened a couple months ago. Yeah, fantastic. Jonah, if I asked you to pick three people in your business owner journey that you're most grateful for them being there uh, as part of your business growth, who are those three people and how'd they help you? Uh, that's another good question. And I have a lot of those. So one, I have to say Jonathan Potoshnik. Uh, he was my first mentor. He just a very, really good, really, really good guy. Mm. Taught me everything that I know now. He's been mentor for six years, and then he sold his business last year and started taking the year off. Uh, I think I was doing like two hundred fifty thousand in revenue at the time. I was stuck. I didn't know how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And I was just doing all the work by myself. Me and one other person. I didn't know how to scale. Yeah. So I think after like a less than a year, we went to like from two fifty to like eight hundred thousand. And so it's like just that mindset shift, you know. I still remember the first thing that he ever told me, or the day that he met me, was think bigger. Mm from the small town like i didn't know anyone yeah i've never been out of this town and then he started taking me out of this town and i really got to see what the world was like and so yeah he would be the first one and then my parents of course my dad passed away last year hmm. uh, right. in a tra- tragic accident but he's the one who was always there for me like he always wanted to start a business but never had the courage to do it but he always had the mindset to go do it hmm. so as soon as i told him that i wanted to do it he's like you know go chase your dreams kid you only get one shot yeah, it would be a good one. And then, um, you know, my team, my team's really been uh, a big help, you know, a big portion of my success. I couldn't do it without them. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, you know, those, those three people or three things right there will probably be the biggest things that made the most impact on me. Yeah. I, I Your first story, I, I really like that um, for folks that are listening. What I see happen a ton is that successful business owners, right? they'll get their business to a certain level, and then it'll seem to plateau. And <clears throat> the challenge is that all they ne- really know is what got them there. Right? And what they're not really understanding is that they've become the bottleneck. Right? Yep. So we can only work to our capacity where there's 24 hours in a day, and we've got to sleep during some of that. And so usually what happens is the business will take off, Right? And then it'll flatten out. But really what happens is it, it'll grow to slightly above the owner's capacity and then shrink a little below the owner's capacity and then slightly above. But basically, 
you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, flattened out or, or plateaued. And, um, and so what I love about what you said is that you, you reached out to somebody with a different set of eyes and perspective and really challenged you to think bigger. And, um, and you mentioned earlier, bringing employees on is, you know, the way that we scale our business is to get out of the way, right. And bring other people into our organization to allow the business to have more capacity than what we can provide ourselves. So congratulations on, on, uh, such a, a an awesome growth story. And, um, again, how, how big was the company when you sold it? And they were like, I think we did like 2.8, 2.9 million. Yeah. Wow. And so then... from, a, from nothing to, to many years at 250,000 to, to selling it for over 8 million. That's just an awesome story. Yeah. We, um, uh, you just mentioned something that brought up a good book and it's a John Maxwell book, the 21 laws of leadership. The very first one is the law of the lid. Mm-hmm. Basically explaining what you just did. Like, you know, like you can only, you, whoever you're, if you're a seven, and you're coaching someone, your business will never never get past the six. So if you can increase your your lid, you can increase your company's lid. So I, I really I agree with you there. Yeah, I love that. What a great analogy. Um, Jonas, as you think about the next three to five years, what are the biggest challenges that you see that you're going to face in in reaching the goals you have for the business? And who are the types of people that you're going to need uh, to help you overcome those challenges? Well, I wish I could find a bunch more of myself. That'd be fun. <laughs> um, but um like i said i have really big goals i want to have over 100 branches as my ultimate goal we're opening up three more uh in the next two weeks so actually march 1st but we got a bunch of snow so it's getting pushed back a little bit um so i just need to like so the biggest challenge at this point will be finding those key people to mm-hmm. open up new branches yeah whether they're you know we go find them or if we happen to actually recruit them um, and then from there, it could be, I'm not positive, but it could be, uh, um, I think, I think that's gonna be the biggest one is finding the key people to open up their the, enough branches to keep up with pace and then acquisitions. Um, you know, we're going to go through acquisitions as well. We, we bought some, we bought a company this year and that's a pretty good strategy. Uh, it's way easier to buy a business than it is to start one. Yeah. I've learned. So just, the, it, but it does come with a lot of challenges too. You know, as far as financing and then once you get past the financing, it's uh, the culture thing, like getting the like two companies culture to mend and they're not, not everyone's going to stay and we know that. So there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of work, you know, so it's not, um, it's not easy either, but yeah. I found it's easier to buy one than it is to start one from scratch. So we have a lot of things going on. So it could be, you know, in the near, near future, it could be capital. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. We haven't, I don't know that. I'm just kind of guessing yeah. as we're scaling so fast, like it could be a capital thing. So I have to go get you know, financing from someone or uh, equity partners or something like that. You talked about, uh, you jokingly said it, but I want to dig into a little bit more for folks that are listening is if I could just find a bunch of me's, right? And um, I know that was a little tongue in cheek, but uh, it it does bring up something that I hear a lot with um, business owners who, you know, they are challenged with the, Hey, I can't find and keep great employees or no one. The other thing I hear is no one can do the job as well as me. And I know that's not what you're saying, but I think it's important for others to hear this message is typically what happens when, when folks are wrestling with that, I can't find anybody that can do the work as well as me is that we haven't invested the time into training other people. Because right? we, yeah. we as business owners can have multiple years of expertise, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so, so I've I've actually found three of me already. Yeah, good for you. They're they're absolute rock stars, and they're my you know they they're the ones that are open to new branches. They're just different than the rest. Yeah, but just finding more like us that are really driven. They have big dreams. They want to you know grow together. Yeah. Um, so just finding more of us. Yeah. So what how what's been your uh, your solution? How have you been able to find those folks? One, it took me seven months to recruit him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was his wrestling coach. I knew how hard of a work he was. I knew how intelligent he was. He was in college with a collegiate athlete. So I know he was super driven with that too. And yeah. it took me seven months to recruit him. I was texting him. I was texting him nonstop. I was texting his mom, texting his dad. All <laughs> and then when COVID hit, he was actually bartending at the time. And the business shut down. And they finally gave me the opportunity to sit down with him. Yeah. So that was one. The other one found me. Again, I, I think it's Peter Luck. He heard about us uh, about an hour away, and he liked what we were doing. He asked if he could come in and just give it a shot. And then from day one, it, he just, like, a different mentality. And uh, so he found us, so I got lucky there. Mm. And then the third one, kind of the same thing. He got brought in by someone else and, um, yeah, just molded him the way we needed to and trained him. And, you know, I feel like my leadership is pretty good. I'm always trying to improve as well. Uh, and getting these kids caught up to speed and giving them the shortcut that I wish that I had at that age. Mm. Oh, I love that. The uh, you, the seven months that you mentioned, though, uh, there's a, a principle that makes a ton of sense is the, the higher, slow, fire, fast idea, right? Is make sure, you know, take the time to to evaluate people and make sure they're a good cultural fit and that they're, they do really have the the hard coding or the hard wiring or you know, the personality and the, the values and beliefs that, that you need in your organization, because we've all had situation where we've hired the wrong person, or we've been part of a team where the wrong person's on the team, and it's just miserable. So um, I get it, right, when you need staff, and it, it's, there's that pressure of wanting to fill a role at, um, use Jonah's example there of, you know, take your time and, and make sure that you're investing the time to find the right person, as opposed to just finding a body that you find out is not the right fit for your company. Yeah. And we've made that mistake many times in the past, that, you know, especially when the hiring got a little crazy, we couldn't get anyone. We just bring people on the team because we needed bodies, Yeah, but they can really, really ruin the culture. And I feel like I've been told about culture for the last 12 years. And I kind of missed the boat the first six, to be honest. And then it's like, okay, there's something to this. It's like you can feel the energy in the room. Yes. And like that's, that's what I feel like the culture is. Like yes. you walk into a space, you can feel it by the things you look at, what people are talking about, just that energy that you walk into. That's what I think culture is. And you can tell when it's off and you can pretty, pretty much pin it down to who it is or what's going on uh, yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. And if you just get those people off the bus is probably the best idea for you. Yeah. Um, you, another thing I hear a lot, you just mentioned it, that, you know, I, people will tell me when I talk about culture, Hey, Tim, that just feels like that touchy feely stuff or, or that it's non-tangible. And a lot of people will kind of avoid it or ignore it or just half-ass it. Um, And I I like what you just shared of, Hey, I kind of was doing that for the first few years until I got it. And now, now, now that you know it and you get it, you can feel that culture. So it's, it's a for real thing that, makes a significant difference to the bottom line when when everybody is you know aligned and the culture is strong and and so congratulations on building a a strong culture in your business that's awesome 
Yeah, it's way easier to move the needle if everyone's rowing in the right direction, right? Yeah. And that's just how I feel. So, like, we we hire off core values. We fire off core values. Just how we do. Like, the first thing that people learn when they come into our company. Like, yeah. even in the first interview, we just, this is how we do it. Yeah. So, for everyone listening, pay attention to that. Right? That he's, he's not hiring based on roles or responsibilities. Right? He's making sure that people align with the values and beliefs of the organization, right? And, and sharing that information and talking about it in the interview process. Because people will tell you, hey... You know, this isn't, that's not really a fit for me. And that's the best gift they could give you, right? Is, Absolutely. I, I don't fit your culture. I'm not going to enjoy it here. Awesome. Because, you know, it's so critical that we've got people that do fit our culture that we don't want to make that mistake of bringing in a great resume and then finding out that they, they don't share our values and our beliefs. So. And I think that uh, over the time of doing this, we've got a really good persona of who we're going after. So when we, when we bring them in the interview, we know exactly what we're looking for. So by the time they walk into the building and sit down, we know if it's going to work or not. And the other thing I heard you say is you're now attracting people who want to be part of your culture because they're hearing it from others. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And that's just kind of where we're at. And we, we, were, we, we had just talked about this yesterday with me and a couple of my guys as we're actually creating true believers finally. Like we've always said we're going to do it and now we're actually doing it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about how do you how do you screen people in your interview process? How do you know that they're a good cultural fit? What are some of the the tactics that you that you use? Um, it depends on what role that mm -hmm. we're looking for. Most of the people that we're looking for, like on our sales side, are are aren't currently looking for jobs, so we're going to they're actively seeking them, okay. or we're trying to get them before they've ever had a job before. It's mm -hmm. so like if we're in a career fair, uh, we're looking for the kid, girl, female that, you know, works hard in school. she got a good grade point. They have a good grade point average. They're probably in sports in the past because we're looking for someone who's competitive. Um, so that's like a persona for sales technician, you know, that they're not job hopping around, that they've been to the same company for a while, uh, you know, four or five years. What they like to do for fun, there's a lot about them too. Mm -hmm. We'll just ask them questions like that and, um, yeah, go from there. I guess it depends like what role we're hiring for. You know, if it's a, if it's a leadership role, it's way different, you know, yeah. it's more formal or we're doing three, four interviews with, um, with, if they're married, we're having interviews with themselves, with their husband and wife, yeah. um, make sure that it's good culture fit for both sides. We want it to be a win-win. Yeah. It just depends on the role. Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, another thing, and I'm sure you do this, uh, is writing that language into your job ad, right? So when people oh, yeah. read it, they're like, oh yeah, that sounds like some a place I'd want to work, or that sounds like me. People are very easily deselect, right? They're like, if they read an ad and it's you're explaining your values and your beliefs or the type of person you're looking for, and people aren't that, or that's not what they're looking for, they won't apply because they know what you know where they fit and where they don't so that's a great way to to screen people out without even having to talk to them yeah i couldn't agree more and we actually hire someone that writes our ads for us and so they'll interview us like what we're looking for and then what our company's about and they'll create the ad for us so it's, i agree with 100 percent. yeah that's awesome that's hey, one of the reasons copy and paste we just don't do that yeah yeah that yeah and um and it can be if you don't if you don't aren't intentional about that exercise, so that's awesome that you have somebody that writes it for you. If you're not intentional about the language that you put into your ad, you can end up writing uh, stuff that appeals to yourself. And then you end up just attracting people that are just like you. And there may be roles in your company that 
you need somebody that's not like you. 100%. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you mentioned sales, right? So you, you've yeah. got to write in language that is about sales versus technician, right? The language of a technician is going to be very different than the language of a salesperson. Right? Yeah. So every time we bring someone on, we do a Colby assessment or a disc, whatever you want to, whatever you guys use. Yeah. We do that. So we know where they'll fit inside the company, not what their traits are, but like, you know, where the, where their best fit mm -hmm. and what they'll, what they'll, like if they're detail oriented or if they're process oriented or I'm not that I'm total opposite. I'm straight visionary yeah. uh, implementer type, you know? So I need to hire people opposite of me as far as in the office, because we need detail and process. But as far as sales guys are typically going to be more quick starts like myself. Yeah. Um, th those tools they are for everyone listening. Great uh, suggestion because people can uh, interview differently than how they're hard coded or hardwired, right? So it's important to, to understand, you know, somebody in an interview can say that they like detail and they're detail oriented, but then you have them do one of these assessments and you find out that they're not, it's, it's not a, a good, a pass or fail, but what it helps us to understand is, Hey, this person's gonna, they're not going to enjoy, you know, detail oriented work day in and day out if they're not, if their hard coding is not detail orientation, it doesn't mean they can't be detailed, just means that it's not life-given, it's going to be draining. And so, you know, it, to Jonas's point, why put that person into a detail-oriented role? You know, if they're a great cultural fit, we can find them a different position within the organization where they're going to thrive. Yep, couldn't agree more. So, Jonas, Jim Rohn, um, I enjoy his... Uh, his writings, one of his quotes uh, is, we become the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. So as you think about this um, and business owners who are you know, maybe trying to do it on their own or don't feel like it's okay to ask for help, Jonas, what advice would you have for, for people who, who are like that, who, who don't, um, don't reach out for help or don't ask for help, who think they have to do it on their own? definitely find a coach or find your tribe. Mm -hmm. uh, there are so many groups you can get into that are full of business owners in your sector or go find someone that's in your sector that you emulate and you want to be like and reach out to them. They can help you along the way. If not, they'll send you to someone that can help them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I couldn't agree more. And I say, I talk about this a lot. I look and I look back at high school or college, right? And you think of the friends who were really cool back in the day we thought we're going to go somewhere, but they hung out with the wrong people. And they went down the wrong path and they had so much going for them. Mm. So I, I bring that, I say that because like, it, it is so important to surround yourself with whatever you want to be. If you want to be successful, you want to be intelligent, surround yourself with people who are that. So like all my friends at this point in my life, aren't the kids I went to high school with or college with, they're the kid, they're all business owners mm. that are, you know, I always say you should have three mentors. You should have one that's about the same size as you to push you, one that's way farther ahead of you to help you through what you're going through, and one that's younger and going through it that can uh, teach you all the new things. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You mentioned tribe. Uh, uh, for folks who may not understand what that means, can you give us a little bit more explanation? Yeah. So, like, I've been in a bunch of mastermind groups now, but the first one that I was in, again, there was probably 100 people. And I have 10 to 15, 20 people, maybe more that I talk to on a consistent basis, like on a daily, bi-weekly or monthly basis, at least that we all just talk. And 
it's really hard to talk to someone about your problems if they've ever been through the same problems or if they're not going through the same problems. They can't help you solve them. So you can't really talk to them about that because they don't know what you're talking about. Their problems are way different than I ha- than our problems are. If I had their problems, my life would be pretty good. <laughs> but we're growing and we're growing, we're growing fast. And so I have, we haven't been through a lot of these challenges. So to find someone who's going through it for you or has been there and done that to help you walk you through it is so much easier. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just saving you time. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you know, just being bold and and reaching out to people. So for the folks who are listening, who are afraid that folks don't have time for them or are going to tell them they're too busy, what would you, what advice would you have for them? If you're looking to get stuff done, go to a busy person. Most mm-hmm. of those people who are really busy, who look really busy, are probably the ones that are actually going to help you out because they'll take the time real quick to say, hey, I can help you with this or connect you with someone. It's yeah. the people who, that they think that they're not going to reach out because they're probably too busy that they won't help them. Well, you never know if you don't try. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to get something done, hire someone who's busy or look for someone who's busy. They're <laughs> usually the ones who will help you the most. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, to build on that too, I've, you know, I've, my own personal experience is maybe one out of, you know, 10 people don't have time for me right now, but they, you know, I've never had somebody absolutely say no. Right. They said, hey, maybe uh, this month I'm tied up. Can you, you know, can you follow back up with me in a month? Um, and everyone that I've been nervous about asking, you know, for a coffee meeting or something like that, they've then shared a story of somebody who gifted them their time, right? And they're they're now paying it forward by, you know, gifting their time to me. So, yeah, I mean, if you talk to any of our my mentors or any of your mentors, they've all had mentors and their mentors had mentors. That's just how it works. Yeah. In fact, you, if you, if you're reaching out to somebody and they don't have a mentor, you should be more worried about the advice that they're yeah. giving you. <laughs> Jonas, it, it sounds like you've been blessed with some incredible people uh, in your journey that have helped you along the way. If they were all here on the show today, what would you want to say to them? I don't know. That's a tough one. Thank you. Uh, thanks for believing in me. You know, um, probably just thank you. Appreciate all their help. Uh, people have sacrificed a lot for my dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, they really have. They've put in a lot of hard work, a lot of hours, a lot of time away from their own families, uh, traveling and learning. Uh, so I'd just like to let them know that I appreciate them. And I try to show that, you know, consistently. Yeah, something small you can do like on a Sunday afternoon is just write them a thank you letter, mm-hmm. mail it to their house, address it to the family, not to them. So when they open it up, if, uh, you know, if say it's a, your CSR and their husband opens it up, like they're going to be so happy. And same thing if you, if you're, if it's a manager and it's a male and the wife opens it, like you know, he's going to work every day, he's leaving his family. Uh, and just knowing that he's there working hard and that he's appreciative will go a long way. Yeah. What a great idea. That's awesome. I love that. I'm going to make a note to myself to do that. Thank you for sharing. Of course. It's just simple things like that. You know, every, there's a book called Giftology. If you're mm-hmm. looking to read a good book for business. It's just, uh, it's the simple things you can do for people to make them feel like they're appreciated. Not everyone's motivated by money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We call that um, critical non-essentials. So non-essential meaning, right? It's not part of the the requirement to send somebody a letter, but it's right. critical because of the impact, like the examples you just shared when the 
family reads that and sees how valued that their their spouse or their you know significant other is it just has a, a a lasting impact um builds builds pride builds loyalty it's just a, a wonderful uh gesture and 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 and, re and really a very easy thing to do if you just give yourself the permission to do it right yep sure as i just put it in my calendar it's there every sunday just doesn't take time and it's not every week that i have to do it but sure yeah there awesome jonas it's been a pleasure speaking with you today thank you so much for being on the show i appreciate appreciate me having me here and uh i'd like to come back someday fantastic awesome well hey to everyone who tuned in thanks for listening to the self-made is a myth show with your host coach tim Campbell. be sure to help us spread the movement by liking the show and posting about it on social media and to join our movement go to be madtogether.com all right, folks, that's a wrap. Make sure to pay it forward and I'll see you all next time. Take care. See you.